Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of my favorite podcast, You Me Empathy. I hope it's your favorite podcast, too. If it's not, and Dax Shepard's podcast is uh, your favorite, or You Made It Weird by Pete Holmes is your favorite, or Terrible Thanks for Asking is your favorite, or Forever 35 is your favorite, or uh, Coming Back is your favorite, or any of the numerous wonderful podcasts out there are your favorite over Yumi Empathy, that's fine too. I'm just very happy you're here. And today is a new episode. It's episode 89 with my guests. Two guests, in fact. This is a two-parter, very special episode. I talk with Natalie Rodriguez and Alex Montalban. The first hour and 20 minutes or so is with my friend Natalie, and we chat about burnout, and we talk about growing up with an addict father, and we talk about balance when it comes to pursuing our passions and understanding our limitations, and a whole slew of other things. And we also talk about The Extraordinary Ordinary, which is Natalie's new film. She's the writer, director, and producer of The Extraordinary Ordinary, which is a film about three uh, college students finding solace and healing in the arts and overcoming their personal history with mental health. Um, I haven't seen the, the film yet. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Hopefully, I'll be able to see it this Friday, actually, August 23rd at the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. If you go to the show notes for this episode, you can find uh, tickets there uh, to buy, to uh, to see The Extraordinary Ordinary and support independent filmmaker Natalie. And I also talk with Alex Montalban, who is one of the actors in in the movie. And we, we talk about why hugs are the best and being a man and showing feelings and and uh, growing up in a very sort of feely, uh, feely place. Alex is great, and I had a short chat, but a great chat with him. And so, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's, it's again, it's a fun two-parter. And, and definitely, uh, if you're in the Los Angeles area, go support independent filmmakers. Go to support independent film. Uh, the Extraordinary Ordinary is playing at the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival on August 23rd, I think it's Friday night around 9.15 p.m. Again, you can buy tickets uh, at the show notes for this episode. Okay, before we get to the episode, I did want to uh, say a few things. One of which is, right now, Jessica and I are like thinking about life insurance. Uh, and the, the, the whole prospect of that is it kind of creeps me out just thinking about like how much you're worth, you know? And they ask all these questions. You kind of go through a interview and they ask all these questions about like, you know, medical history and, and stuff like that. And, you know, asking me about my depression and, and wondering, you know, if I've had suicidal thoughts and things like that. And it's just, it just feels very 
judgy and like not the right questions you know it feels like the questions should be like do you value empathy and how like are your relationships built on trust and respect and compassion and those those types of things right like it just it kind of bums me out to think about a little bit i don't know if i don't know if you've gone through a similar thing uh if you can relate um let me know because it's it's weird and it's it's making feel making me feel a little bit icky. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, of course, if you haven't left a rating and review for Yumi Empathy in iTunes, what are you doing with your life? I mean, I know you're busy, but it only takes a couple minutes, and I would be over the moon happy if you did so. So go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, an honest one. Uh, for this show. I would be forever grateful. Okay, so let's get into it. Again, this is episode 89 with my guests Natalie Rodriguez and Alex Montalban on burnout, hugs, and a bunch of other stuff, and the wonderful new feature film, The Extraordinary Ordinary. a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand-in-hand, Break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today I'm here with producer, writer, director, just all around lovely human being, Natalie Rodriguez. Hello, Natalie. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing well. Um, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm very excited to have you. So you and I met uh, briefly in person once. Yes. Just to kind of get to know each other. We had a coffee. Yes. That was fun. We did. Um, I think that was somewhere in Brea, correct? It was. I think so. Like Okay. Because I was like on the opposite side of Brea that I haven't seen yet. Just because I'm familiar with like Cal State Fullerton area because I went to school there for mm-hmm. like four or five years. Yeah. Um, but it was a nice little um, cafe we found. It was kind of like real like. Kind of reminded me of like my area where I'm at in Glendora. So very like suburban, quiet, peaceful. Yeah. And we, so how did like, what, how did that uh, initiation happen? Like you, I think we have maybe Rudy Caceres in common, you know, or something, you know, just some mental health awareness people. Yeah. So I think Rudy, um, 
I know. I think we did. Do we meet through Rudy? I'm trying to remember because I know Rudy and I met through, I think it was Twitter like two, three years ago. And then everyone sort of started adding each other on Facebook. So we might have, you and I might have been Facebook buddies. And Something I think like I might have just, yeah. I think I either DM'd you or emailed you like, hey, like I saw your podcast. <laughs> um, so I think that's how the community kind of works. It definitely the mental health community seems very similar to like TV film. Mm. It's kind of everyone adds each other on social and you're like, Wait, have we met? I think I saw you on Facebook. So it definitely seems like a sim- similar um, kind of community. Yeah, that's sure. interesting. It, it's definitely a, you know, from what I've seen on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's it's definitely a growing community and one that's um, very supportive, I found, uh, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Um, which I love too. I mean, Rudy's a great guy and I always kind of say any friend of Rudy's definitely like a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I've been fortunate to meet I think for the past, like three years, um, just a lot of people who talk about mental health or just about wellness in general, physical health, how to physically take care of yourself. It's, I've never been so like, um, kind. It's sad to say that, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's, everyone's like very uh, supportive like yeah. of each other, which yeah. I think is key. Yeah, absolutely. We have to do that for each other. For sure, 100%. So before we get into your story, uh, let's do an emotional check-in. How how, yeah. are you, how are you feeling? I'm feeling actually really wide awake right now. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I, I know I mentioned before we hopped on the call, I went for like an hour walk. So I've been trying to do these um, 45, 60-minute walks every day. Um, and it's been actually very, so far, I want to say life-changing. I've noticed my mood's a lot better or I feel like I don't get myself so burned out because of work or any like projects or meetings. Um, I wanted to make that like kind of mandatory for me every day to get outside for more than like, I mean, half an hour, just something about it, just really calming and um, just very like therapeutic. So I'm trying to keep these up because I noticed my mood like right now, I feel awake. I feel very like positive and very like relaxed right now. That's so good to hear. And it's like, We, we're as a society, we're so obsessed with just go, 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 like a product productivity. You know, work your tail off. You know, crush it, yeah. whatever. And yeah. it's 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 unhealthy. Like it, and it's it such is. a beautiful reminder when we can go outside, spend an hour, and just be so, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, just be so energized yeah. and connected and grounded. Like it's yeah. just like we we. F- we've all experienced that and yet we still we still find ourselves in these patterns of yeah unhealth yeah which is funny you mentioned that um because i've been notoriously guilty of that where you work 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 and you're thinking oh i love my work so much let me just keep diving into projects but that's how i actually got um physically and then like mentally drained because i just i mean you go like you know 90 miles an hour and you don't stop to take a break you're gonna eventually like you know crash and burn out so i actually kind of over the past seven years now i think we're going on seven um through and i mentioned in the past i go to uh, counseling weekly or every other like week or so i've been actually relearning how not to um get back into those old habits of just working nonstop and then jumping to the next project like i actually like am learning how to train myself to take a break regardless like how busy you are or regardless if you have like so many tasks to do it's um not worth you know risking your health for that especially if you're gonna get yourself sick 
Yeah. No, it's great that you're, you're focusing on that. And like what helps me with that, uh, a, a good reminder for me is reminding myself that like, even, even if I love the thing so much, like working on this podcast, mm-hmm. I love this podcast. It's my, yeah. it's my favorite thing to do, but, all, but you know, if I'm not careful, uh, I'm going to burn out. Right. I, you know, like with anything, like I think we as humans have only a certain capacity yeah. for focus, for mental energy, for emotional energy. And regardless of whether or not we love it so much, we have to set boundaries. Yeah. No, that's definitely, um, I think everyone like learns that along the way, especially getting older too. Cause I feel, I mentioned earlier um, to a colleague who also does a, um, she works in the mental health community. I said, there's always like this, I think things are harder nowadays. For some reason it feels like things are more expensive or, Hmm. um, you know, people aren't getting paid as much at their job or jobs that they're working you know people are working at least two or three jobs just to survive you know just to put a roof over their head so um it's not surprising there's like an increase with anxiety depression or some sort of like mental health uh, i think they're calling it out crisis um mm. people who are reaching out to hotlines which um it's beautiful like there's so many resources like to get help you know online you know therapy or you know there's crisis texts which I know people can text if they're going through a hard time just to like chat to a counselor um, through text messaging or, you know, doctors, physicians themselves. So it's, that's beautiful, but it's also kind of like, I think it's just, there's so much going on in the world. So yeah, it's definitely, I think it's hard to like kind of always check in with yourself or remind yourself, Hey, you need to go take a 10 minute break or you need to call it a night and stop working. Yeah. And Um, it it is hard. And I, I'm with you. I think having those programs is amazing and we need them. And I, I, as you were saying that it reminded me that of course, also Mm -hmm. that like it, it is a privilege to be able to check in with yourself. Like not, you know, I, I take and taking breaks, like not everyone can maybe, you know, financially or physically, even yeah. do that. And I, you know, it's my hope for the world that, that we can, that we like change the way we look at work, change yeah. the way we look at our passions to allow for this stuff, to allow for the open heart stuff that we all need, but like structurally we're so sort of grounded in, you know, culturally, structurally, societally, so grounded in these systems that are designed to just grind us down. Yeah. Um, so how do we scary. change those systems, you know? Yeah. And I feel, I always kind of think that changing that system, cause it's, and I, I'm guilty of this too. Like I um, just get a little personal, but like in counseling these past few, two, three months, I've been, I found myself getting so overwhelmed. And then I learned, well, I can't control like how the world goes. You know, I can't control how people react or people say something that's offensive. Um, you know, it's like there's kind of acceptance of, you know, accepting that we can't control everything or we can't like rescue everyone, especially if we like kind of yeah. feel we've done everything we can to be like supportive or we done every can to something like accomplishing a task for the day. It's kind of acknowledging, okay, try again tomorrow or you know what, sleep on it before you make a decision. So it's hard. I think it's kind of starts with them, like the individual and how they, I think sort of, take in um 
comments or what they see going on in the news, kind of mm. uh, not taking things so personal and kind of learning like how just things aren't in our control like at all. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I struggle with control a lot mm-hmm. myself, and 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 I think about control a lot because I, I I I am one that likes to remind myself that you know I I yeah. don't have much control, and that's that's kind of freeing to me, yeah. right? But um, it does start at that personal level, like understanding that we have limitations. Because I get you, like I get the you know what's going on in Sudan right now, like yeah. horrifying. And, and, you know, my heart is breaking and thinking about the, the injustice that's happening to humanity. And I'm like welling up as I'm talking about it, yeah. um, is horrifying. And, and I feel like, you know, obviously there's, there's specific actions you can take and you can do those things, but you also just feel overwhelmed by like it all. Like how, how does the world get to a place like that? Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I was reading this morning, I don't know why I do this to myself. I was reading this morning about a school in Northern California where mm-hmm. the state is, the state of California is trying to shut down this school, rightfully so, I believe, because this school is essentially uh, punishing people for being gay, um, mm-hmm. ta- uh, taking kids off of antidepressants, you know, uh, cold turkey, uh, punishing yeah. people for trying to uh, take their own lives, you know, yeah. awful, awful psychological abuses um, that have been, you know, uh, reported. And, uh, you know, it's overwhelming to think about that yeah. stuff. But, like, you have to come back to, like, what can you control? What yeah. are the small uh, steps of goodness you can take? What are my limitations, yeah. you know, emotionally? And start there. Yeah, no, limitations is something I've been learning as well, too. Um, and I used to be embarrassed. I don't know if you ever felt so, but I used to be embarrassed. Like, um, I saw this meme. I think it explained it perfectly, like going to counseling and it's a cartoon. One side shows like the, I think it's a patient. She's silent and the therapist's like, well, you don't have to talk today if you don't want. And then the second part of the picture shows um, the patient in like little bubbly um, quotes. It says, um, it was somewhere around the lines of, well, I'm just stressed over homework and I feel dumb that this is stressing me out this much. And then like the next, I think the therapist responds, oh, well, no, like you shouldn't feel embarrassed. Like we all react differently to situations and, you know, your stress is still like important. It doesn't mean it's any less important mm-hmm. um, compared to this situation or this person's situation. Um, so I think definitely I, that kind of like to always group that with limitations. I think it's because you know, it's okay to like something like um, turn, you know, off, you know, social media for a day because you see something that's like triggery or something that is a little too like difficult to look at or to take in, or it kind of brings out like these intense uh, reaction and these mm-hmm. feelings. So yeah. I kind of always like to group it because I saw that meme and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's actually like 100% accurate with, I think life in general, um, yeah. just everywhere. It all it it all comes down to knowing ourselves, yeah. Knowing our hearts and doing the work of like figuring out our emotions. I'm like a broken record on that, but I think it's so important. Yeah, yeah. I do too, one hundred percent. I think it's as long as you kind of check in with yourself, and and it's hard too. Like even it's still hard for me to do that today. It's um, like I think for example, like I went to bed super late yesterday because I fell asleep and took a nap and. You know, in the past, I would have been like, oh, you 
took a two hour nap. Like now you like lost track of time. And I found myself doing that because I had like still work to do. And I was like, well, you know what? You were tired. Like your body was tired. Okay. So it's not like you're doing this every day or if you were like, you know, your body's trying to say something to you. Like you need Were to- you struggling with like the shame of it? Were you thinking like, yeah. oh, I'm lazy? The shame, um, which is something I've always, I was doing for many years throughout like my, I think I was like seventh grade to about maybe my junior year of college. Um, so I never knew I actually would shame myself until, um, I guess just three years of counseling until my therapist was like, yeah, you need to stop doing that. She's like, I need you to go out this Friday, go to the bar with, or the club with your friends. Like my mm-hmm. therapist would have to start telling me like things to do. She's like, I better hear next session that you didn't like stay in and like work that night that you actually Mm. went out and did something. Or if you didn't go out, I want to hear, Hey, I was sitting in bed all night watching Netflix. Like, Mm. so it was kind of, yeah, I used to do that a lot of shaming, which um, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm wondering if that's always like connected to um, anxiety or if it is like a sort of a um, kind of like a struggle with like a self love because of something that kind of started like with always like working hard or kind of like, almost like having like a workaholic problem even. Yeah. So where do you feel, what were your, what was your childhood like? Did, did yeah. your parents work hard? Do you feel like you got some of that from them? Um, my dad's family, very hardworking. I think that's where I get definitely the art side from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my dad, when he was in high school, he got offered to be an actor, but I mean, if I may be blunt, my dad wanted to, um, party and actually led to some, um, alcoholism Mm -hmm. and drug abuse. But I know like a lot of the kind of being outspoken, being passionate, a lot of that does come from like my dad. I mean, and his two older sisters, older sisters, they, one was a model. I think she was like Miss Santa Fe Springs, like in 1963, 64. Who? Your, one of your aunts? One of my aunts was. Oh, wow. Um, I never knew about that until years later when I saw a picture. I was like, oh, this looks like, I'm like, is this a catalog or was this headshots? And they're like, oh, yeah, your aunt was like Miss Santa Fe Springs, you know, back in high school. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, that's awesome. Like, why? <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, so I definitely, um, that was kind of like my childhood. And I think a lot of it was, one of my dad was like the first people that saw me writing. I would actually handwrite my stories. And actually, I wish I had a picture of that, like, these really like gnarly bruises on my thumb and my, um, my finger. I'm um, just from like gripping on the pencil. So like hard as I was writing um, mm. in a journal. How old were you and at that time? I want to say I was about 11 when I started doing that. Okay. What we, um, you'd write stories, fictional stories. Yeah. Fictional stories. Um, and then I was rewriting a short story that I had to do in the fifth grade. Um, I went to, this school in Diamond Bar called Quell Summit. And each year, all the students of every grade had to write a short story and then make that short story look like a book. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like a writing slash arts and crafts project. And once I was done with that project, because I, I actually had like a lot of fun writing that. And um, at the time, I was like obsessed with like scary stories. Um, I think they actually just made a, a fil- the film's coming out about that. Um, yeah. Scary stories for kids. I was obsessed with those. So I was very much on the scary movie, like thriller drama side. So I think that's had a blast just doing the project. And every kind of summer, whenever I was off school, I would always like try to rewrite the story. Cause I'm like, oh, it'd be a lot cooler if that project went another way or I should make it longer. So that's when kind of the 
journaling started happening. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, I could go two ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious about like the, you know, your experience with your father's um, alcoholism and drug, like how, yeah. what, what did you, did you witness any of that? Like, how did that oh, yeah. impact you? Um, no, I mean, I'll, I'm like trying to keep PG, but um, no, I mean, it, it got really like pretty bad. Like as I got older, I think, cause if you, uh, I think as when you're a kid, there's like things like my dad was like the fun kid. I was like, Oh, dad's like friends with my friends. He gets along with like my friend's parents, but years That's later, pretty common like, for addicts yeah. to <laughs> be the friendly source. Right. Yeah. So I learned years later. Um, and I still talk about today. Like I'm still like in some sort of like recovery mode from, um, talking about it or even today, my therapist will be like, no, that's not normal. Like that's actually abnormal. And I'm like, Oh, Oh really? I was like, back then it looked like it was cool. Like, you know, my dad would, I think every weekend, like he would buy at the time it was, um, I think they were called poly pockets. So they were kind of like the knockdown versions of Barbie dolls. And sure. I remember those. Yeah. And brat. So he'd be like, I got like a, Page, I got a raise. Let's go. Like, I'll take a Toys R Us. So, Toys R Us was like a thing. Uh, Santa Fe Springs swamped me just because he lived over there. Um, and him and my parents, my mom had split when I was about, I want to say, eight, nine years old. So, you so, live with your dad mostly or between the two? Um, with my mom. So, I'd okay. go see my dad pretty much every weekend. And I think it was like Wednesday nights or Thursday nights. We would, I think it was like they would, I think it's common for most divorce uh, households, like, the dad would usually take like the child out to dinner or mm-hmm. take them out for a few hours um, before dropping them off back at home. What, yeah. how was the, was it weird, the divorce? Like, was it weird that you had, or was that just your normal? Um, at the time it just seemed normal. It was like, Oh, makes sense. As <laughs> sad as that is to say, but um, I think I learned to, it's just, I think, because I used to feel so like ashamed about that, like years later, like, oh God, like I have like, you know, a dad that's drinking heavily. And I think as I got older, I was just more outspoken about it, especially once I started, I think, collaborating with like other individuals, advocates, such as Rudy at the Mighty, um, or even like I got a contributor position at the Huffington Post about three years ago. And one of them asked, hey, we saw your article about being a child of an addict. Can you like elaborate? And it was kind of like no turning back. I was like, you know what, let me confide with some family friends, close colleagues. And I think I was amazed how many people can relate to my upbringing or just a lot of like, you know, kind of the family dynamics where some family members are addicts or, you know, some are, you know, even like hospitalized or have a mental health disorder that leaves them kind of, um, you know, unable to leave the house or able to potentially like function, I guess, maybe like in a, I want to say like a quote unquote normal setting. So I think it was through the writing definitely that kind of, I think opened up more doors. I want to say, I I think maybe kind of realized like, Hey, this is so common. Like maybe I should start talking about it. Um, And then especially when I started writing about it, like I have, of course on Facebook, I cousins, cousins, you know, uncles, aunts, like, you know, on both sides of family. And I was like, Oh shoot, I can't post this. Like I don't want to upset anyone. But when I did, I wrote an article about I think my, you know, child of addict, I want to say a month or two ago. I actually got reconnected with a cousin of mine on my dad's side. So it was kind of like a aha moment, like, oh, 
cool. Okay. So she kind of did something about this, but she does more like, um, stand up comedy mm-hmm. and acting. So when we kind of reconnected, it was like a, Hey, so I act about this. You know, I actually did this character based on, um, her mom, who's actually like a stone addict. And I kind of shared my story and we're both kind of like, Oh, ha, that's funny. And we're like, Oh, that's kind of sad. But you know what? That kind of shows like how, you know, I think our lives do impact our own work, especially I think if you're entertainment, um, writing, directing, producing, or making music or painting, I think definitely it shapes, you know, your work and who you are today. I, I'm just curious, like, you know, mm-hmm. your, your dad being um, sort of the friendly, happy, like, so he was a friendly, happy addict. He, he was yeah. never um, violent or aggressive or anything like that. Um, I won't lie. I mean, to other people, yeah, <laughs> get into fights, um, which I didn't see until maybe I said there's like one bad incident where he actually, um, and I, I hope it's okay to say this, but he actually punched a, um, it was my stepdad at the time, like years ago. And I think once I saw that happen, I was like, oh yeah, this isn't normal. This is like very like severe. So I think when that incident happened, that was when I think like um, addiction or in such something such as rehab started coming up like in both sides of the family, um, both my dad's side and even my mother's side. And uh, a lot of comments like, oh, we kind of always knew like addiction around in the family. We just kind of ignore, you know, we don't want to help someone if they kind of don't want help. So hmm. uh, I think that kind of that, that was definitely like an eye opener because years later, even until this day, like. I'm kind of a little bit more open about things like with my dad. I think especially because it does, I think tie into, I think I do think that's how a lot of my anxiety developed at a younger, younger age. Uh-huh. Um, but it's also like, it's kind of amazing how a lot of, you know, both relatives, non-relatives related will still get like, I don't want to talk about it anyway. So how's like, you know, how's everything else? And you're like, Oh, Oh, people are still like, don't want to talk about it. Like that's like, I'm kind of like a surprise I do. Cause I'm kind of in a place where, millionaires never thought I'd like talk about that so openly or just more about like kind of more about like the recovery side or kind of like symptoms of like hey this is like you know when you know you gotta you know put like boundaries with people and definitely had to do that um both my dad both a lot of relatives because I think I was starting to get like a lot higher anxiety like as I got to I think my sophomore year of college I want to say Yeah. Yeah. So seeing your dad every weekend, you know, him not obviously being a very effective parent, I I imagine. Yeah. You know, you maybe developing some anxiety there. What was it like on your mom's side? Did you feel supported and loved? Yeah. No, definitely my mom's side. Um, That's where I get like the film bug from her just because she watched everything from, God, I'm thinking like Scream to, um, the infamous American beauty, mm. um, you know, films like that. So kind of, that was kind of my mom and I, and even her mother, when my grandmother, her mom was alive, uh, we would usually like all kind of watch movies together. And as a kid, I would often go to the movies with my mom and my grandma. And it'd be more like my mom, I think took me to see like mystic river. It's like a hard rated R movie by Clint Eastwood about yeah, like, that's, and that's I saw a- that. <laughs> devastating movie <laughs> yes so beautiful but it's so devastating but i remember seeing films like that like on that genre like very like the low independent film side um or films made under like 10 million with my mom and my mom be like i'll be like oh isn't this rated our mom she's like yeah but um 
I don't know, just watch it with me because like no one else wants to watch this. So I just figure I'd take you. I'd be like, okay, cool. <laughs> so she'll be like, during like, you know, where they're cussing or if there's any like, you know, explicit content, check like, when I tell you to cover your eyes, you better cover your eyes or mm. I'm just cover your eyes for you. <laughs> Were um, you raised in a religious house? I wasn't actually, no. Okay. Okay. Um, both my parents were. Um, I, my dad, I think, was Christian. And then my mom was, her parents were hardcore Catholic. So, um, it's interesting because, you know, usually you think if the parents were kind of born and raised Christian or Catholic, it would kind of carry on to the child. But sure. Um, no, my mom, I uh, mean, my dad, they kind of were like, oh, yeah, I guess we can go to the church. Just kind of were like nonchalant, like really like if, you know, I was big enough, I wanted to go, they would take me. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of like, I think they were trying to like kind of set their own rules, especially I think my mom's side was a little conservative where. It wasn't common for a lot of women on the family to uh, get a full-time job after high school or go to college. It was kind of like marry the man that you're dating as you graduate high school, have kids, have the man you know provide. So uh, I'm very fortunate that my mom was never that. I think she never really wanted that for me. I think she knew since day one. Um, I was telling her I want to make movies. She was like, yeah, I know I can't. Con- you know, I can't tell you to not do that because you're just going to do it anyways. <laughs> mm. So um, you you have a pretty strong will and, uh, you know, kind of like yeah. to seek what you want. Yeah, I mean, I think years later, especially like having both my parents tell me, um, or even my cousin who I just reconnected with, uh, they've all told me like, yeah, as a child, you said you want to be like Steven Spielberg. I'm like, wait, when did I say that? Like, oh, you're like three or four. And I'm like... <laughs> I was like, I knew who Steven Spielberg, so I'm more like, wait, really? You guys are just making that up. And they're like, no, we remember you saying that. Um, so I think definitely, um, yeah, no, the art side, that definitely comes from, I want to say from both sides of the family. I mean, because definitely, you know, my my dad was a big music guy. He loved, like, I mean, bands like Led Zeppelin, um, the, like, Motley Crue, um, like, classic rock or, like, classic heavy metal. So that kind of always, like, when I started writing, I would listen to a lot of that music. Um, and I think my passion for like a lot of independent features, uh, came from seeing, you know, films that nobody but my mother knew about because it was just right before these films, um, such as Mystic River went to the Oscars or before they got, I want to say like nationwide distribution where they were showing more theaters. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think definitely, I mean, I asked her too, most recently, like, did you ever want to be an actress or was like you or dad ever trying to be writers? Um, and both my parents had nine to five jobs. My dad worked, I think, at Caltrans for like 25 years until he retired. And my mom's been with the same company for like 26, 27 years. So, um, and they're it's still funny. around. Are they what? They're still alive, your parents? Yeah, they're both still alive. Yes. And do you have siblings? Um, I have step siblings. I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, gotcha. I post my niece from time to time on Instagram. <laughs> um, She's a girl with the curly, like, it's kind of, she has curly hair, and um, my stepsister's like, we never curl it, it just does that naturally. Hmm. Yeah. And when, so you mentioned, you know, writing some articles <laughs> of the last, like, two, three years, like, yeah. is that kind of when you started really opening up about your mental health, or did it happen before that in a more sort of private uh, way with friends? Definitely through the writing. Um which I'm glad you asked because I didn't notice that until I think when I did my last article about a month or two ago, um, I had my a cousin reach out to me. It was talking about growing up with what it's like to kind of grow up with a parent 
who has a drinking problem and kind of like dealing with some family members who acknowledge it or some like many, the elephant in the room, they're like, Oh, don't look at it. Ignore it. Um, So I think it was through writing. It kind of, I don't want to say forced me, but I think it definitely like motivated me to um, kind of take, I guess the power back, like, you know, not feeling shame, ashamed, um, staying true to my roots. You know, my whole thing was like, you know, I never want to like, I mean, I always want to stay true to myself. You know, someone's going to ask me something. I'm such as like with my dad, it's like, no, like we had a falling out because of, you know, his history of drinking. Um, and it's okay. Like it's common. I think it's one of those, you know, I hope it works out in the future. So I think that definitely came from writing because it was kind of me like writing it. And then someone would like either retweet it on Twitter or I think some, like something such Huffington Post. Um, and even the mighty, they kind of were like, Hey, we saw your article. We'd like to feature it. So it kind of would start with a small company and then kind of go like more to, I think, a, I don't want to say corporate, but I guess a, more or less a company that's been around like a little bit longer, like the mighty or um, Huffington Post. But, so. you know, help me understand, because that seems like a big jump, you know, like starting with like, oh, now, now I'm going to be open about my mental health and start yeah. writing <laughs> articles. Like, tell me about like the process of leading up to like developing yeah. the courage to do that. Um. Honestly, I have to say that has to be the first time I wrote a blog. It was for, um, they were called Virgin Break the Stigma, and then they changed to Defeat the Stigma. I want to say so maybe like 2016. It could be off on the year. Uh, I wrote a blog. I think it was a gentleman who was running his nonprofit group. They were advocating for mental health awareness, and they were known for doing cross-country runs. So they would run for mental health over in Wisconsin, South Dakota, and I think Kansas, Missouri. So they were more on the Midwest. And I want to say we met through, I think it was Twitter. Twitter, Instagram is like, you know, the hashtag started becoming a thing. And I think he commented and I looked at his stuff, DM'd him and said, hey, I looked you up. If you ever need help, like, let me know. And he actually had asked me to write an article on mental health because I had just made a film on, uh, I think it was on suicide awareness. I promoted it and then, I mentioned how ironically I was going to be doing a feature on um, young adults and characters having a history of anxiety or depression or coming from like a background with trauma. And I think that kind of just happened. I think because it was coming from like a business perspective as more like a, Hey, since you asked me about writing, like can I send you more stuff. Um, maybe, you know, we can partner up. So that kind of, I think started slowly growing because he would start promoting like my blogs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I think that's when the app came out to repost on Instagram. So where you can kind of promote the company that posts your pictures on their platforms. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that kind of just, I don't want to say took off, but that kind of got like comments or DMs or someone would ask, Hey, we saw that you're a writer. Um, we'd like to like republish this. Can we like share it? So a lot of the sharing on social media became, I think like a, bigger thing i think i want to say on twitter because twitter like i'm shocked i had that many followers um but i think that came from just writing i mean it was they would start with sharing and the hashtag and just that i mean that amazes me how those hashtags can really just drive in i think other individuals who are looking for content to repost or just to like sort of collaborate with another individual so that kind of just happened and that went on for like a good I would say like maybe like a year and a half before I started doing cold pitches where I was like, Hey, I want to actually like try to get this on, you know, website. And that's when I start looking up different 
Um, I think there was different newsletters I'd sign up for. And one's called like freelance writer. There's one called like coffee writer. And a lot of them were starting to like have looking for articles on wellness, looking for articles on mental health, physical health related, how to stay healthy. So I would just pitch it, just send them like, you know, my biography. And that kind of just did that for, you know, two years, like writing for free or kind of doing more, um, I guess kind of like volunteer work, you know, they'd be like, Hey, we'd like to republish it. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, how was, how the posts look? And if I liked it, if I got good vibes from them, I'll be like, yeah, go ahead and post it. Um, I'd love to retag it um, once it's alive. So, I mean, and all of that is awesome. And I, mm -hmm. I commend you for doing that work. I'm, I'm interested in your sort of emotional state as you started, yeah. as you started opening up about your own mental health, as you started opening mm -hmm. up about, you know, living with an addict and, and like what, where was your emotional state at? Um, and, um, and, and how did it, how did it feel when you got a reaction? Um, definitely emotional state. I think, I don't know if it's a bad thing to say, but I think I was so immersed in the work um, just because this one I was like, I think still in college. So I was consistently writing something, whether it was a thesis paper. Or so were you in therapy like, at that time when you were starting to write these articles? Yeah, no, I was. Okay. Um, so my therapist was of course like my first, I guess, person to know I told, I was like, I think with the first blog, I'm like, so I wrote a blog on mental health and she was like, Oh, that's great. That's good exciting. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know how I feel. I'm like, cause I posted it and my whole fear was, and I think it's a common fear for many people when they come forth and say, Hey, I have a history of mental health or hey, I have, you know, panic attacks. I was so afraid, like, well, what do people say? Like, what if I was like, you know, what if someone says something mean to me? And that's when that whole kind of check-in came in with like, you know, you can't control if people want to say something mean or mm -hmm. they want to, you know, block you or just like tear you down for doing something that's considered a passion project or something that you believe in. So I was... I think it's still processing that thing. Like, how do I feel? What are people going to think? But subconsciously, because I was posting it, I always saw that as a way of, I wanted to start like talking about it. And I think it's like the more um, DMs or comments I would see on those posts from friends and colleagues saying, Hey, like, I can relate or Hey, like, that's cool. You did that. I had no idea you were going through that. Like I'm actually going through to therapy myself. I mean, I would, can't tell you how many times I've got private messages like we're friends and colleagues and um, I've met, you know, in work fields or I've known for years saying, Oh my God, you go to therapy too. That's awesome. Like I go as well. Like, how do you like it? I like it. Or, Hey, it's a hard time for me to go. So I think yeah. it was those words that were keeping me motivated to keep going. So yeah. it made me feel like, okay, so it seems like there's a positive impact and it kind of felt really um, at first scary. Cause I know, I think I mentioned this to you in the past and I even to Rudy from the mighty, I was like, yeah. And I try to like, I try to like be upfront with individuals like, Hey, I'm not a therapist or I'm not licensed to give you Smart. medical advice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I still talk about today, even in counseling, I'll be like, so I posted this and that, but like, I wrote this message here it is. And my therapist be like, no, that's, that's wise. Like that's smart. Like, you know, that's good. Like keep doing that. So I think, I think once I started, like, I think I started getting more DMs, like, cause I've had DMs where people were opening up like, um, very triggery or very like personal matters. I was kind of like, Hey, I think you should talk to someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think it was words like that, like hearing those words, Hey, I can relate to it or, Hey, that's awesome. Like, 
I had no idea like you have like panic attacks. I can never tell. Um, those are kind of actually would make me like giggle a bit because I was like, okay, so, it, you know, it's interesting because it just seems like those kind of comments, it got me thinking on. I didn't think it was ignorant. It felt more like, you know, it seems they're just like, oh, people don't always have to look physically like hyperventilating, which is a common symptom for anxiety or panic attack. It's sometimes people are more it's an internal process. So it seemed like more those comments were making me think, oh, I think they're wanting to learn more about it or they like are kind of like figuring out like, oh, mental health is not always the same for people. Yeah. Um, so I think it was, I mean, that was what I was fortunate. I mean, I think those positive comments or feedback, it definitely, I mean, I'm really, I would say lucky, but it's, I can't, you know, I have to say like, I got the credit to, you know, family friends who were like, Hey, that's cool. Or, that's Keep great. us posted. <laughs> yeah, it's very validating, you know, yeah. when you share something vulnerable and then you're met yeah. with this, like, oh, I relate, or oh, you know, you made me yeah. think about this, my life in this way. Like, it's such a, yeah, and it makes you want to keep doing it, right? Yeah, keep doing it, or it's, I think that's the word validating, and I think it's 99% of the time, especially today, and I'm sure you might have this too, but I feel like everyone I kind of meet has some sort of history with anxiety. Um, like it's half of them will start talking to me about like, oh, I go to therapy, like this is what I'm doing or, you know, I take medicine, but I just got off medicine. So I, I've been more like, it's kind of been both validating and actually relieving um, just cause there's such a big stigma. And um, I think I mentioned this when we first met a few months ago, there's such a stigma with, I think mental health or, getting professional help, whether it's seeing a psychiatrist, psychologist, um, or even going to like treatment, um, some sort of recovery, um, and entertainment, you know, entertainment, I think half people in the entertainment industry, music, TV, film, theater struggle with anxiety, depression, because it's a very, um, on the go kind of field. And it still amazes me that, you know, there's still like a lot of shaming going around because it's 99% of the time people who, I've had those experiences I've met who shame therapy or the ones who are actually like secretly going to therapy. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Like I've been learning that like today, that's where I'm kind of at today. Like, Oh, but everyone kind of has like some sort of experience. Everyone's felt anxious or sad. So of course, yeah. and, and, and you know, we all of course have, like, I feel like as humans, mm -hmm. we are all very unique, certainly, yeah. but the more we can come to terms with the fact that, we are also very much the same uh, and we have things in common, the more easier or the easier it is uh, to find those pathways to connection and learning from each other. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. Um, just because we all have our, our own stories, right? I mean, it's, we can relate to other people's stories, but you know, there's something about ours that makes us unique and, I think that's kind of something I've learned through a lot of mental health um, advocacy groups or communities, especially on the writer's side, because a lot of times when you write about mental health, they would send you what not to say or kind of like what to sort of focus on and then like not to steer away from. And they would mention a lot of that, like, you know, you're all unique, you know, you all have like a story, you all have a reason to like talk about what you want, something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, Tell me yeah. a little bit more about the um, the entertainment industry mm -hmm. and sort of like the the shaming going on, and you know, because uh, 
I mean, that's that's troubling to hear, you know, yeah. in, in such a, an environment where, as you pointed out, like, or as we were talking about, you know, closer to the beginning, it's such a pressure cooker of an environment oh, yeah. Yeah. where therapy should be like, you know, not mandatory, but like it should be a thing that's like encouraged. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always like still, I feel like I get caught in that circle of like, I want the answers. I want to figure it out. But I have actually learned through counseling because it was getting to the point where I was letting it bother me so much for some reason. I think because it could be just, I was trying to find answers or trying to understand individuals. Um, it's such an entertainment field where we see movies, we see music that deals, that's talking about anxiety, depression, suicide awareness, um, you know, even rehab, you know, we see so many of these subjects already touched upon, you know, over the course of what, like 40 to 50 years. So it always boggles me. And I think what I've learned over time, it's kind of, you know, you can't control it or it's like, you have to learn when to like start it coming to like social media, when to start removing individuals who are slamming it publicly or, um, you know, if they're mocking you because, you know, you're having an off, especially I know this is common off mental health day. It's, it's kind of like one of those two, like, well, you know, that's, they're not meant to be in my life or I just have to like, you know, turn them off somehow and like kind of shut out like that noise. Um, I mean, but there are individuals too who do fortunately. And I think this is what keeps me um, focus on this more. I do my best to focus on this like every day, especially when I have, you know, if I get like comment, I mean, even today, and I'm sure like, you know, everyone will experience this. Like I had someone say um, not too long ago, aren't you embarrassed to put stuff out there because you have anxiety, like you're going to ruin your career. And, you know, comments like those sometimes, you know, I'm human, of course, like it will bother me, but I want to say what keeps me, I think definitely grounded is not only counseling, but I think it's definitely taking, fortunately that step back now and saying, okay, I think they're running something personal where I don't think they notice like they either a can relate to this or B it's triggering them in a way that, you know, Maybe they don't know how to get help um, with, or they don't know um, if they're capable of getting help. That, so I yeah. think yeah. I think that's Sorry. what's been. No, it's okay. This is keeping me grounded. It's hmm. kind of thinking like that as um, as hard as it is, but I think once you start thinking like that, I feel it truly does like bring in the individuals who are supportive, even if they're not outspoken about it, especially entertainment. Um, yeah. A lot of them will feel comforted, I think, to work with you, or I think a lot of times, too, just to even talk to you, especially on set, where setting the onset anywhere from, like, you know, minutes to hours, and um, I'm very big on that, too, especially with the Extraordinary Ordinary, the feature, I was very big on, hey, I need you guys to, like, sleep, I don't want you guys to burn yourself out, and I need you guys to go talk to a therapist or a doctor if you're feeling like things are becoming overwhelming, so I think once I started doing that, especially with the feature film we shot last year, it sort of made me also do that for every like aspect of my life, which is like, Hey, I'm here as a friend to listen, but if you're having a hard time, I think you should go talk to someone. Um, and I think because I am in entertainment, most of my colleagues and, you know, of course, close friends or even some relatives are working in industry. So I think it's kind of more like a comfort, um, kind of, I think they feel validated if I say something like that or, vice versa they have to remind me that it's more like a oh, okay like um this is like you know you know it's not going to ruin my career it's just maybe it's just like a minute where i need to like turn off the phone turn off the computer or reschedule um i know rescheduling is like a huge thing and 
the industry too, especially. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm at now. I mean, it's hard, I'll admit, but I think it's one of those, it's, I think you just have to like mentally like self-talk yourself that like as time goes on, it's just like, Hey, if someone's not supportive, you know, there's nothing you can do. I mean, that's on them. I always say just kind of end it on a good note. If you have to be like, Hey, I'm sorry, I feel that way. But you know, you know, something with mental health, I'm going to talk about it because I feel it can like help benefit someone. Um, so it's kind of, it's, a, it's always like a catch, isn't it? It's kind of like always trying to want to do like the right thing. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I, I may be, um, so I, uh, I'm struggling with the, the, you know, I, I want, my question to you probably mm-hmm. is like, how do we change the industry? You know, I'm not in the industry. So like when you give me an example of like mm-hmm. someone saying, you know, asking you like, well, aren't you embarrassed, you know, about sharing about your anxiety or yeah. taking the time to treat your anxiety or taking a mental health day? Like, I would say to that person, absolutely not. And I think it's important mm-hmm. to, you know, talk about this stuff. And I think it's important for you as well. Like, yeah. maybe that's like one person changed at a time. Like, so, like, because that, you know, I, I think that per, that response, that question from that person mm-hmm. is is probably just ignorance. I don't think they, they mean to be uh, mean or anything. Yeah. It's just ignorance. And so, how do we change the industry like how like you being in the industry and making an environment that is open to that stuff and giving people yeah. opportunities to go to therapy and and making sure that they're taking rest breaks like that's a beautiful yeah. thing like how does that permeate hollywood um, big hollywood you know you know it comes to my mind is because that's such a good question it's always come to it's i think it starts to how um a production office or production set is ran. It's, you know, if you have, and this is such a common thing. If you have someone in a, um, an authority role, um, and often it's going to be the director because usually they're the ones that will say like, let's move on or, Hey, like that's it for today. You know, if they're just being a terrorizing everyone, you know, of course you're going to have people on set. who are going to start. I truly believe getting, mentally and then physically sick, especially so it starts with leadership is what you're saying. Leadership for yeah. sure. Um, communication. I mean, it's, I think if, and it, which shocks me because I've had those incidents. I think I mentioned this to you. Like I've been fired from a job because I actually had to start going to therapy weekly because I was having um, higher anxiety. I was depressed. And I remember my therapist was like, I need you to show up here. She's like, I don't care if you have to leave work early. You've got to figure it out. Like I need you to come in here weekly. And I got fired and I remember I went to the, my boss at the time. I was like, but, um, I was like, you know, I'm coming to you. Like, this is a medical reason. And they're like, Oh, like we're all stressed here. Like you can't get priority. And I think that's what made me realize it's well, you know, communication, like I, that it's situation I was communicating, how I was feeling, why I felt like it was okay to get like a pass, like to go every, I think it was every Friday afternoons I was going. Um, so I kind of think if you have someone in authority role, yeah, leadership role, it's, you know, if you're kind of trying to explain to them about your health, um, if you have to explain to anyone in leadership role saying, hey, I'm throwing up, like, I can't come to set today. And if they're giving you, like, a hard time, it's kind of like, to me, I just feel like they're just not, I don't, I don't want to say they're not, like, a good person, but I just don't, I think something is kind of not going on, is not going on right in their life. And they're buying into the, the, the machine. <laughs> they're buying yeah. into the 
you know, the soul crushing machine that is like, you know, work and productivity and, and, you know, and, and that's, that's what I wonder all the time. Cause like, you know, I think the same applies, you know, or, or similarly to like the corporate world. Like I've worked jobs where, uh, it was very unhealthy and I, I never lasted because, because of that. And now I'm at a place where I, my fault, my day job is very, you know, it's like what you're trying to give your actors. It's very warm. It's very supportive. It's very, you know, it's very generous and time off. It's very like, we have to, like my boss, like take your, take your vacation, you know, like it's very warm and supportive. And so like, how do we, you know, I guess it starts with leadership is what you're saying. And just kind of over time, you know, Um, hopefully that changes. No, and I think so too. I mean, it's, um, and I'm still learning that too. Cause, um, it's, it's so interesting. Cause I feel like even if you try to escape it, like the job I got fired from, uh, because I said, you know, I have to go to therapy weekly. Like I can come back. Like, I even offered, I feel like if someone's coming to you saying like, Hey, I'm going through a hard time. I really need to like get help. I'll, I'll make up the hours. I'll do this and that. I feel like let that person it's, I feel like that's, them already like trying to overwork themselves. So I feel there's no reason to be like, no, you can't, you know, do that. You need to kind of, like you said, you got to be part of the machine and work until you're like sick. <laughs> um, it's almost like kind of that mentality of like, I think there's too many um, work industries, not just entertainment, but even I have a lot of friends who work like in nursing school or going to nursing school or who are trying to become doctors, nurses, lawyers. And when I was confiding to them about like that situation where I got fired from a TV show on um, last fall, they were like, Oh yeah, that's happened to me before too. Or, you know, that's why I'm quitting my job because, um, they're like, yeah, I'm like losing my mind. I would have friends quote, say that, you know, I'm losing my mind and it's not worth it. Um, so I think it's kind of like you mentioned, it's, you know, that support team. It's sometimes, you know, if it happens once I'm, you know, you're hoping the next time it won't ever happen again on a job or at, you know, a project that you're part of. But I think it's kind of inevitable if it does. I feel like you'll, I think the individual will be able to know when to like leave sooner versus like trying to stick it out and they have like a bad feeling about it because um, it's a physical or uh, kind of like your well-being, you know, mentally. It makes me very sad. Yeah. <laughs> like it makes me sad to think about it. Like, do you, are you aware of any groups or organizations that like go into mm-hmm. production houses, go into sets, you know, film sets and try to teach about, you know, emotional awareness, mental you know health what? awareness? I uh, really don't. Um, good. Yeah, Cause I'm going to, I'm going to create that company. Yes. No, you know, I never thought <laughs> about that. one of my that. goals. No. No, and I really think that's like actually. I think I mentioned to like my therapist once. I was like, "Yeah, I don't get why." Because um, I've been told like on the feature, um, I had one of my cast members say, "You're so nice," and I was like, "Why? Why would it be me?" And I was like, actually, like very confused. I'm like, "Are they joking?" You're like, I'm just, I was, like, I'm just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like I think when I started hearing their stories, like I was so like appalled. They were like. Well, no, like the last director I worked with was like making me do like 80 takes of this line. And my line was like, I think it was like, how are you? I don't want to do that. And I'm like, oh, maybe they're trying different. Like, you know, I was like trying not to judge someone's work ethic. But I was like, oh, maybe they're just trying to get you like different looks. Like, no, no, no. They're like, 
they were just doing that just to like overwork us. Like they were trying to keep us like 16 hours each day, like just to like waste time. Mm. And I felt, and same thing, like you're saying, I was like, so like disgusted, appalled, like sad. And I was like, wait, does no one not like try to set the ground here? Like, Hey, if you're not feeling good, you get, you can talk to me. Like, it's kind of like common sense, right? You know, that's how we kind of all, I kind of think like kindergarten days, you know, it's, I, I, there's like that saying where it's like, you know, even adults need naps, even adults need, you know, to go for a walk or to like step out. From that's the how we be our best selves. Yeah. Like, so, so like pitching it to like some, you know, head of Paramount or whatever, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know the head of Paramount, but like pitching <laughs> to some head of like some big movie yeah. studio maybe like we have to speak a little their language and say, look, yeah. uh, your people will be better off. They will yeah. be more efficient. They will be, have clear headspace. They will be, uh, kinder and gentler to their, the people who are under them. And therefore that can lead to, you know, greater happiness in the group and mm -hmm. and fewer people leaving and uh you know lesser costs because you don't have yeah. to rehire people like you know no and i think that's i think you're on to something by saying that because i want to say i think because there's a lot of um the beauty of this too and i think this is like a very positive outcome and i really do think like i strongly believe it's going to be changing over time, like I feel very confident, like something such as entertainment industry. Um, I really think because there's been so many, like, of course, as you know, like there's been so many, like, breaking global, you know, global and both like um, US based news about, you know, people in a position of power, producers. Um, you know, we've seen so many producers, like, of course, during like the Me Too movement lose their jobs because there's things such as sexual harassment or because. You, you know, years later, someone will come forth and be like, this director, you know, was making me physically sick and didn't care because they said, oh, it's for the role. Like, you have to be physically sick to, right. you know, achieve this um, performance. And I think that's what's becoming, it's sad, but it's also very, like, relieving to see, like, okay, good. Like, they're taking the power back by speaking up and saying, well, like, someone like, you know, the actress who was terrorized by a director is now directing and she's saying, you know, this is how, you know, the sets around, you know, the minute I see someone terrorize another person, cast or crew, you know, they're fired. Like there's without a doubt, like there's like mm. they lay the ground rules up front. So yeah. I'm hoping because more people are starting to do that and individuals who I want to say who have been in the industry a little bit longer or especially, you know, a lot of um, actors or a lot of uh, people are starting to own companies where they're trying to focus on the positivity side. Um, I think of like Reese Witherspoon because she does very, uh, her company does very like female driven yeah, positivity, women supporting women. Well, I think it's, it's beautiful because I'm like, Oh yeah, that's awesome. Like, yes. Like keep like promoting that because I think the more they keep like making noise about that, I feel like it's going to be hard for individuals to stay quiet on sets or in a work environment where someone is being, unfortunately abusive verbally physically there's you know whether something where it's going to sexual harassment or someone who's being worked until they almost like collapse like i think i think seeing people like reese witherspoon or individuals even outside the entertainment industry just talk about the work film in general i think it's going to encourage and motivate others like hey worst case is that i just have to quit this job or you know yeah. what if I'm feeling sick, is it really something like I want to do? No, like I can find something else where they're going to be supportive. Um, 
So I'm hoping that's what's going to happen because I feel um, cause a lot of individuals in entertainment do run their own organizations, um, mental health, or a lot of that is about like self-love, mm-hmm. positivity. So I, when I see those that actually like, I actually feel like a, like my shoulders like slowly descending because I'm just like, okay, good. Like, that's awesome. Like, you know, I think the more noise there is like within the industry, especially in my field, it's, I think it's going to be hard to stay quiet on and just, you know, to ignore. Um, and I feel like people who are trying to go against that and trying to be that, you know, that terror, that terrorizing person, they're just going to get shut out unless they change their ways. Right. And if they yeah. don't, it's, well, it's like, do you really want someone like that involved, you know, in your life, work, personal related? Yeah. I, I hope so too. Um, yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Can you uh, tell me a bit? So, for me and the listeners' sake, uh, you you made this feature film, The Extraordinary yes. Ordinary. Yes. Can you give me a little synopsis about it, and then we'll kind of get into it a bit? Yeah, of course. Um, Extraordinary Ordinary. It's a upcoming feature film. It's a narrative fiction that deals with three young adults and how they cope with um, old wounds when. Uh, a lot of triggers resurface in their present day life. So we do focus on the aftermath of either a mental health disorder, such as anxiety, depression, PTSD, as well as um, the aftermath of um, trauma. Two of the characters are trauma survivors. So it deals with anywhere the recovery stage deals with from a year to eight years with mm. amongst the three characters. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, how long is how long did it take to work on this movie? How long were you working on it before? Like, how long was the shoot? You know, tell yeah. me all about that. I'm curious. Um, well, originally, um, I think I might have mentioned it before, the script was something I started writing in high school. Oh, wow. Um, it was something I was sleeping, dreaming about. Like, I kept thinking about these, like, three, like, people who were older than me. And I'm like, who are these people? Um, so that's how I kind of was writing it was if I kept, waking up thinking about it, went to bed thinking about it. I was like, let me try writing it. So it was, I think I was like 14 when I wrote the opening pages. And then I was like, okay, I don't know what else to write. I'm going to like come back to it later. Um, So I came back to it later, like when I was my senior year. Um, So my senior year, I wrote actually completed like two drafts. And the irony is the original story for the extraordinary ordinary ended up becoming like a separate project. So I was like back to square one and then in college, my junior year in a screenwriting class, I picked up an old script of the extraordinary ordinary and reworked it. Um, my screening class, we, uh, my teacher assigned us to, we had to spend a semester like doing a outline or treatment and then watching other films that, um, our professors assigned us individually saying, Hey, I think you should just film as a format. And the film I got was Ordinary People, which is hands down, I think it's one of the most beautiful films like to date. It deals with suicide awareness and the aftermath of um, trauma recovery and grief. Mm-hmm. And my teacher was like, watch this, watch this. And I was like, I don't want to watch it. Can't you give me a different movie? So he kept saying, no, you have to watch this. Here's a DVD. Literally brings his own copy of the DVD to me to class one day. So I think that definitely that put me on the right or the project it is today where it deals mm-hmm. with mental health, recovery, because I think I was always trying to write that in the earlier drafts with the extraordinary, ordinary, but to be honest, I think I couldn't find the words. Um, I think I was confused. Like, um, I think with like any, when you're creating anything, I think there's moments where you're 
you're like, I know what to say, but I don't know how to find the words. So I felt like everything up until that screening class, things finally clicked for the film, wrote the script. And then for the next, I want to say three years in between like, you know, working day jobs or in between making other short films, I was always coming back to the script. And I was like, I want to make this. I want to make this. I don't know how. Um, so what happened was I want to say maybe about two years before we started filming the feature, I met, um, Madison Bullock. Um, we actually kind of like how you and I were, we became friends on Facebook first. And then I mm. think like Instagram and Twitter and it, us, we had mutual friends cause we all went to like the same, um, I went to like a film program after college and she was part of, I think the founding father company, it was called Playhouse West. And I was part of like the sister company that they were trying to start like a school for like just directors, producers and writers. Um, so I think when I met with her, I'm trying to think, cause I think we just like would comment each other's pictures. Like she, I saw her posting film stuff. I'd be like, Oh, congrats. This looks awesome. And then we kind of did that. And then I want to say I made a short film of the feature, like a sizzle, like as a pitch. Cause as I was always going like in, progress with other projects. I was always like trying to figure out for the extraordinary ordinary, how can I get this made? Like if I want to write and direct something, maybe I have to do a short film. So I would save up, um, we get friends, colleagues or referrals of close friends and colleagues to make a short. So I shot a short for the extraordinary ordinary originally back in 2016. And I actually had Madison come to an earlier table read for that. And, um, kind of like the cliche, cliche saying with like a lot of entertainment. I think I had the wrong producers on board for the, um, the future originally where um, I think like I was trying to hire Madison, like since day one for the leading role, Erica, who she plays. And I think it was like my now former producers. One of them would like um, not respond to her or respond to a lot of people who I fortunately, luckily was able to track down and say, Hey, I still want to get you for this role behind the scenes in front of the camera. Um, so it kind of was a lot of that. I mean, I think like this film has gone through like the ringer. I mean, I uh, can't say, you know, like everything ran smoothly. I mean, a lot of it came from where fortunately had the wrong people involved in the beginning. And then I would always just be like, well, let me try it again. And I think once I brought Madison on board and then I started kind of hearing more about her background and kind of seeing, you know, like, how much she wanted to be involved, it sort of like flourished from there where I feel like it was more like a positive outcome. I think having her on board, it definitely got me like more aware of like who to bring on board and who to, or who to maybe even like interview more. And that kind of, that kind of how it went. It was just kind of like always like her and I just kept in touch for about a good year until we actually shot a sizzle pitch video. I want to say six, seven months before we shot the feature last May, 2018. Um, so that kind of was definitely kind of always kept going. I mean, it was a difficult process, but I think it was one of those just kind of went back to like day and night. I couldn't stop thinking about the project. And I'm like, maybe I should just get it made. Like, you know, there's a thing where I was learning a lot of writer directors were, um, self-funding their feature films or they were making it for pennies to free or, you know, I think that started to encourage me too. when I would see a lot of filmmakers on my own social platforms come forth saying, just do it, just make it, you know, if we can make a feature, you guys can too. So I think my mind was like, no, I can't do that. And then months later I was like, okay, maybe I should just like try that and see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what happened. It just, you know, it was kind of back and forth. It was 
a lot of thinking back and forth is because I was discouraged or because I was like, oh God, no one wants to hear about mental health. And um, I think it's now like, you know, I'm trying to like focus on like how, where it's at today. The fact that like, you know, we did it and, you know, we shot it. And I mean, now we're making our world premiere this August at the Los Angeles Diversity Program, um, or excuse me, Film Festival um, in LA. So I think because it was like any, I think, filmmaker I think the more nose you got it just was like well I'm going to show you I'm going to go figure out how to also do this um even though it took yeah a good two years in development I think before we actually got up onto a set with the cast and crew that's pretty impressive I mean I I'm always in awe of like hearing about filmmakers <laughs> like yourself who you know who are working on a thing for years mm-hmm. and 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 it takes 10 years for them to make yeah. their thing or whatever like I yeah you know, you gotta like, that's a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll be honest too. Like I'm also, it's taught me patience. Um, cause I'm very, um, I, I can be known to being like, I think stubborn too, or like, I, I think it's like one of those interview questions, what's your strength and weaknesses. And I always be like, well, my strength is I like to complete stuff, but, you know, regardless of the ups and downs it goes through, especially project wise. It's like, I like to complete something that I start. Um, but then sometimes, you know, like the con can be like, well, I want to get it down right now. <laughs> and, um, so I think definitely the process of this making the film, especially, I think we're, you know, I started writing it like, God, I think more than 10 years ago, but then, you know, it didn't really become the story that is today until I was about like 20, 21, maybe. So it's definitely, I mean, that's, I mean, common for a lot of like independent films, especially I think first time directors such as myself, who's never done a feature, I mean, I've done multiple shorts, but, you know, directing a feature is so much more, it's a lot more responsibilities because, you know, you are filming longer days, you are spending, you know, more time with your cast and crew. So you guys do get to know each other on both a professional and personal level. And um, it can be rough, um, you know, especially go making a film, whether you're filming on a low budget because you're working with a smaller studio or production company, or if you are, like most filmmakers are doing today where they're, you know, putting films on their credit cards or they max out their credit cards to, you know, just make something. Um, did you do that? And I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't do that, but um, I remember I had a lot of buddies who I kind of confided in and, you know, got advice from before I started filming the feature and um, buddies who did shoot features. I, you know, a lot of them would say, yeah, just max out credit cards, just max out. It'll be okay. And I'd be like, well, don't wow. want to do that. Really. Yeah. Um, who who so are I, some of the like independent filmmakers that inspire you that you look up to? Oh, I am a big fan of um, think of Kevin Smith because I feel like he was the first guy to do that. A first filmmaker, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made what was it? Clerks. Clerks. Yeah. I'm thinking he made that. I just found this out um, not too long ago by my editor of the Extraordinary Ordinary. He was like, yeah, Kevin Smith maxed out, I think, like, three to four credit cards to make clerks. And I'm like, wait, what? I never knew that. And my editor was like, no, like, it's been in the news. Like, that's why, you know, he's he can kind of make whatever films he wants because he, like, shared that later, I think, at film festivals when he got into Sundance. Um, so Kevin Smith for sure, just because I think for me, I just – I think anyone who's able to do that, um, you know, and reading his articles, like, because he was just so – I just, I like the confidence side. It's, he was just like, this is my baby. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make sure this is like publicly screened and people see this. Um, to me, I think that's just very like, it, it's 
warming and it's also very like encouraging to other filmmakers who might feel like I once especially who feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm failing or I feel like I'm never going to get this made and I feel like I'm doing everything I can. Um, so Kevin Smith was kind of like someone I looked in, like looked into a lot of his background. Um, Robert Rodriguez, another one. Mm, um, yeah. I want to say, especially today, a filmmaker, and I actually have him, um, I think when he followed me on Twitter, I had like a fangirl moment. I was like, oh, oh nice. my God, I threw my phone. <laughs> um, he started with El Mariachi, right? Yes, Robert yeah. Rodriguez. Um, El Mariachi, and then he did a, um, I guess a U.S. adaptation of that, which was Desperado. Desperado, with, yeah. Yeah, Antonio. So yeah. Robert Rodriguez, they actually, when I was in film school, we were assigned to read his book. He actually has a memoir called Rebel by the Crew, and he talks about how his motto is, if I made a feature on Seven Grand, you can do it. Don't make excuses. You can do it. And he'll be like, no, don't say you don't know how to DP. Here's, you know, a tutorial on how you can film your own movie, DP-wise, cinematography, um, the person who shoots the actual film with the camera. Um, so I think it was kind of like a fortune, a lot of like those once independent filmmakers, people like Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith. Um, I even think of today's filmmaker, Jim Cummings. He's the one that did Thunder Road and it made all this money back internationally, but he still like puts on Twitter and Facebook even. He's very bold on, hey, filmmakers, you can do it because if I did it, you know, and I lived, you know, in Wisconsin and I still got to LA, anything's possible. I think those are the ones like the filmmakers that kind of, I would always look into mm. more of their background because it's, it's comforting. It was like encouraging. It was kind of like yeah. a, no, they have a point like, you know, or you kind of read about their background. And I think it's like the typical, Oh no, it sounds like they had it a lot worse. It seems like they're going through a lot of personal matters, financial matters, but they still kind of like rolled up their sleeves and got up and still, you know, figure it out as best as they can to, I think, make that first feature film of theirs. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Have you uh, have you ever seen the movie Primer? I haven't. Primer. Oh my gosh. So what he Shane Carruth, the filmmaker behind Primer, made that I think for like seven grand or so, okay. and it's amazing. I I think that movie is stunning. Uh, what he was able to do with that. And he's a guy that, like, he's only made two films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was, like, nine years in between the two. I don't know what the heck he's doing now. He, okay. But on both of his films, or at least on the second one, well, the first one he acted, wrote, mm-hmm. directed, produced. Uh, and then in the second one, he did all those things. Plus, he, lear- he edited, uh, and then he learned how to score the film. Oh, nice. Like it's it's amazing. Like I, nice. I I love him. Um, he's kind of inspiring for me. I'll have to check that out because I'm wondering if it's like one of those films that came out of Sundance, which is also what's beautiful about some of these film festivals because a lot of them are very they. There's that cliche saying I think I've told you before where they're like, oh, if you're not, you have to be famous first before you get the job, and it's kind of like, oh, so you have to be like a celebrity status before anyone ever look at your work or before a studio like will ever pick you up. Um, so I think most of those people, like I'm sure Shane and along with like Robert Rodriguez, um, Jim Cummings, and then um, Kevin Smith, they're always like still like the independent filmmaker kid at heart. Like I feel like even if Kevin Smith did like a Marvel movie, he'd be like, so I'm going to go like, you know, go fund, you know, my short form this weekend. <laughs> um, so I think it's, I'm assuming Shane might be like one of those where they're just, they're very, they just, they're, you know, the, that teen, you know, who always dreamed to like make the film or that child who always want to make a movie. And 
um, to me, that's, I always just, I love hearing that because it's just kind of like a kind of validating to hear that. And you're there also, you'll hear their struggles or you'll still hear like, even if it looks kind of like that, um, that saying on social media where people post highlights of their day or highlights from a project. I mean, you never know the story behind it. Um, you know, and I admire filmmakers who come forward sharing like, Hey, this was hard. Or, you know, there were so many downfalls while trying to finish um, this project because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, just cause yeah. it shows that they're human and, you know, totally. things happen. Life happens. Even if you're trying to make, you know, a big project, it's, um, you know, things happen and it's kind of like, you know, it's motivating to hear like how they still like got through their day or to do it. Yeah. I mean, they're like, we look at directors or CEOs or whatever, like these people in charge as superheroes, mm -hmm. but that's wrong. Yeah. Like they're human, just like we are. Yeah. Um, they're human. And I think more, more people, I kind of think go back to that leadership role or throw in the leadership position, a producer or someone who's head of like a studio. Um, I think it's amazing that a lot those individuals are using something like social media, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, even, um, or even Pinterest. I saw Pinterest doing this a little bit, whereas these, I guess, public figures, I guess, sort of speak, are coming forth saying, Hey, I go to therapy, or Hey, you know what? I'm having a bad day. Um, what are some tips for you guys, you know, to like deal with um, a bad day? I think it's, I just think that's always like so like beautiful. I just, I think it's, it just shows because everyone's human, everyone has quote unquote matters going on in their life. And yeah, I absolutely. think it's just people acknowledge it. The more they like, I think the more we see these public figures, like being outspoken about that, it sort of, um, it sort of like brings them down to why I am human. Like I don't have the answers all the time and I'm trying to figure it out just like you, just like this person over here. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, so, um, I was just going to say, so yes, uh, Primer won the Grand Jury Prize at uh, the Sundance Film Festival in 2004. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, just, think, yeah. It's great. Think, you should watch it. <laughs> no, I will. I'm wondering if that was around Saw, because Saw, the first one, I believe that was like 2004. So I'm wondering if he's one of those filmmakers, because um, I never knew this, and I don't know if he ever did too, but I didn't know the filmmakers of Saw. That was James Wan before right. he went on and did uh, you know, of course, Insidious and... But Saw, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked the original Saw, but Saw yeah. made a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Primer did not. <laughs> okay, because well, what's interesting with Saw is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, because this could be a rumor, and I apologize if this is a rumor, but I saw, like, on... I forgot the film company website, but they mentioned that, like, I think the director of Saw and the producer were friends, and they both sort of, like, funded mm. uh, the first Saw movie. Hmm. And then I think Sundance was where they got the distribution and that's when they went, you know, of course, bigger and made like their, I think it made like, I mean, obviously like millions <laughs> at that point. Um, but no, I think I didn't, I never knew that. So, I mean, I'm always like learning like new things too with like films, like, and how you're like, man, they must have had a studio or ma manager agent. And then you'll find out that filmmaker was like, no, I just like, I self-funded this or yeah. know, my agent manager dropped me because I wanted to make a, smaller movie <laughs> yeah yeah um, i'll check with primer it's um is it like a thriller or a drama or it's a it? it's a it's a time travel movie um oh okay i i would say it's only 77 minutes and i would oh, say nice. <laughs> it's the best uh depiction of time travel i've ever seen 
Okay. Um, uh, it's, you know, like I said, it's only $7,000 budget movie, so it's very low budget, but, um, I think it's amazing. Nice. So definitely must've went the, I think I always call it the Robert Rodriguez. Um, Robert Rodriguez just made another feature like on 70 grand. I think it was for his, um, Al Ray network, one of his TV shows. Oh, it okay. was kind of like a, I don't know if like the, his old fans were like challenging him to still do it, or if it's something he wanted to do, like as a kind of like documentary docu series mm-hmm. special hmm. i haven't cool. seen it yet gotcha. um, but well, he let's... recommends um, Sorry, safety ahead. not guarantee oh yeah that that's a good one yeah i, saw yeah, that. I love it yeah. i love it very good film well let's get back to your film yeah. which is the extraordinary <laughs> ordinary i i'm curious like uh how how do you portray like real mental illness on screen and like because one of the things that I have a sensitivity to when it comes Mm -hmm. to film and mental health is like how people get it wrong all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, so how, like what, where was your mindset going into this and like how aware were you of that stuff and you know, the pressure of like, you know, I really want to do this real and I want people to see that it's real. Like how did you tap into that? Oh, I mean, I, so terrified <laughs> um, to be honest. I, I think that's something I've definitely, I went to like heavy counseling for before. Like we, I started, I started picking up where I was like location scouting. Um, so I'm always still trying to figure it out. I'll be honest, you know, that's still like a common worry of mine. Like, well, I don't want people to think this is just how this can only happen. Um, and I think what's been helpful is, I want to say the power of social media. I think, you know, every time, um, just because we've been getting look, a little bit more press work for the film, um, is, you know, just kind of redirecting it to this is no narrative fiction. Um, you know, this is still, yes, a fictional piece, but yes, things that are going on in this film um, can happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we aren't doctors. We aren't, you know, we're not licensed to give medical advice to any of you here. It's a movie. Uh, yeah, it's a movie. It's still a movie where you're still paying to go to theater or like a film festival to see it. So I we did that at our panel, me and Madison and I. Um, we went to a panel exactly a week ago um, from today. And uh, I was actually like worried to go on there. So I think what helps is like asking, you know, especially when you're going to panels or like doing any press junkin is just kind of asking the person like, hey, you know, could we put in there somewhere saying like, you know, we're not like doctors, like we're actually here to promote the movie as the artist, you know, the cast member, the producers, the writer, the director. Um, so I think that's kind of, I'm hoping that kind of thinking that way or doing it that way will help. Um, just because, I mean, kind of like I mentioned, like there's been so many films that deal with, uh, they're talking about the subjects that we talk about in the extraordinary ordinary. Um, so it's still terrifying. It's still a little terrifying. Like, you know, I get nervous cause, um, I always get nervous when I see my films on the screen. <laughs> um, you know, because I can be my own worst critic sometimes, too. So I think there's like a lot like I'm still trying to process, like, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> so what are you what are you giving like what direction are you giving the actors when it comes to like, show me mm-hmm. trauma, show me you dealing with trauma, or show me you dealing with PTSD? Like what what direction yeah. are you giving these people? I mean, I was very fortunate that um, when I met with Madison um, Anna and Alex, especially with them three, because I felt very, very mother hen. Um, cause I even been going to my mom thinking like, I just want to take care of them, but like, how do I not like overdo it? Um, 
and I, I don't know if it's like controversial to say, cause I feel like most directors are kind of taught to not be so like vulnerable with their cast members. I've heard those sayings before, but I think because I knew because I wrote the script and I knew the things they had to do to get to a certain place to portray, you know, very, very like intense and uh, scenes where they had to be very vulnerable. Um, fortunately I was able to talk to them both individually. And I think because I had Madison on board, she was one of the first cast members to be on board for about a year, a year and a half. Um, every time you know, I would see her, we would talk about it. So it started helping kind of approaching, you know, the character from, okay, so this is, you know, why your character is feeling this way because of X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, um, all my cast members actually, um, you know, including Anna and you know, Madison, Alex, um, John Posey plays the dad and Della, um, Della plays the mom. She's, she's this amazing theater actress. Um, fortunately they all would ask questions or they would say, Hey, I, so she's, this character's acting this way because of this reason why. And I'd be like, yes, like, okay. So they were, I think, cause we just naturally would check in with each other mm. if we're actually like shooting a scene or, you know, if there was something like that, I don't say it didn't work, but there's something like I wanted to try. I'd be like, would you be okay if you can up the anxiety a little bit? Or, you know, if we can up some of the, the sadness here, are you comfortable? So I definitely for this one, this is the first time on a set where I think I was checking in with the actors like periodically, like on breaks, I said, or, Hey, if it becomes too much. And I told them each just individually, especially Anna, Alex Madison, it becomes too much. I need you to tell me I'm not going to get mad. If you need 10 minutes, if you need 15 minutes, like maybe we can have a code. Maybe you can say like, Hey, Nat, I'm going to be outside or something. So I think kind of being upfront with them about that, like, Hey, it's okay. If, like you need to step out. Like I'd rather have you like kind of like go take a minute for yourself. Um, did anyone rather, ever like, need to take that step outside? Yeah, we did. Um, it was during a scene, which I actually had a lot of colleagues say it's probably one of the best scenes in the film. And we actually, I think we shot in like three or four takes because uh, there was like a random, I think it was like on a college campus. It was like a random, uh, that is sorority run where like the fraternities are running by and the security guards were like, well, you can get this done in like 10 minutes, you know, go ahead and film. So um, the scene is uh, one of my cast members, they, I, after a take when I was setting up with my cinematographer, I was looking around. I was like, oh, where's my cast member? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I think the bathroom. And I heard crying. I went around the corner and I saw them crying. And I was like, are you okay? I was like, what happened? Are you just like in character? So I kind of think because I already established that um, with, you know, this individual, like, hey, you know, do you want me to like step back? Like, you can let me know. I can like come check on you in a minute. So they actually told me, like, I'm okay. Just, like, I think I'm crying because I think I'm still in character. Like, I'm okay. Like, come check back on me in, like, two minutes if I'm not up and, like, out from behind. Um, they were kind of, like, behind this, like, it was, like, a custom-built, like, boulder, like, mm-hmm. where they, like, it was a little seating area for students. So I think I was actually, you know, kind of experienced that. Like, you know, I think because I was the first time I experienced something like that. And the first time I did, like, a heavy drama that was diving into very, you know, very, very, I think, triggery. Uh, matters. I think for anyone, even someone who doesn't have um, mental health his- history with mental health or history with trauma, it was. I was kind of already expecting it would definitely bring up a lot of emotions for I think someone because I, you know, acting. If you're stuck in that role like all day, I totally understand why it might be hard to kind of get out of that character and be like, hey, I'm actually okay. This is just 
fiction. You know, I'm just playing a character. This isn't my life. This is, you know, me portraying someone. So I think it was, um, I think after like an incident like that, when that happened, where my customer was crying, I think it was the next day. As soon as I got home, I texted. And before I like got the text, I got an incoming text from this individual and they were apologizing. Like, I'm so sorry I lost it. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm actually really glad that you texted. I wanted to check in on you. I was like, do you need to talk on the phone? Do you want to come stay with me tonight? Like, I think with me, that definitely kept me more alert to um, if I saw anyone kind of going through like a little bit more difficult time, like on set or even before coming to set, I, you know, wanted to make sure I was kind of giving them the okay. Like, hey, if you need to pull me aside, just send me a text. Or if you're afraid to come up to me on set, like, you know, text. Or um, we had a few interns like acting as um, the ADs on set, the assistant directors. So I would sometimes I'd give the ADs like, hey, if um, someone's just having a, like, I think a difficult day, like, can you just like double check on them, make sure like they're eating and they're fed and um, that can be the frustrating part too, because I think when you're directing on set, you know, you can't always be attentive to everything because sometimes yeah. you are like off filming while, you know, talents getting prepped in hair and makeup or they're rehearsing for the scene that comes after. Um, especially because we did shoot very fast. We shot over the course, I want to say 17 days, but on a 13 day shoot. So we were doing anywhere from like, I want to say like eight to 15 pages, um, which I think a lot of people don't believe, but a lot of it, the way we shot the film, it deals where we stick with um, the main character because it's kind of to represent her anxiety. So it's like usually the minute she starts to open up to someone, it's where we'll see a standard kind of like two shots, what they call them, where you'll see like one shot of a character talking and then the cutaway shot of that person responding. Yeah. Um, so that kind of actually made it fortunate have like an amazing DP. His name's Trevor Roach. Um, he's a fellow um, Orange County uh, native too. He went to Chapman University and um, fortunately I think that what made it possible and why we shot, we were able to shoot a lot of pages. Um, and I think just kind of all of us going in, I mean, me having a talk saying like, hey, you know, let's just do our best. We'll get this done. Um, kind of give like our ADs like a heads up, like, hey, if we're going over time, like tell us. So it definitely felt like a first time movie experience, I think, because I never worked with like an AD before, usually on shorts, usually just like me, my friends or colleagues, just kind of all like one man showing it where we take turns to light a scene or we'd all take turns like crafty or getting lunch for everyone. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I mean, it sounds like, so, I mean, it being your first feature, it sounds like <laughs> you've created a really warm and supportive and empathetic environment, which is, just, uh, I mean, shout out to you for doing that. That's that's so <laughs> tremendous. No, thank you. Um, you know, I, and I think that was kind of my, because I've always wanted a set like that. And um, I think I mentioned to you, too, like in the past, like I've been on sets that have been horrifying where, you know, kind of going back to like, you know, the authority role where they don't care if you're bleeding or if you faint. It's like, oh, you can't handle it. Well, don't be in this industry. Like, um, I think because I use those experience to, even today where I'm like, I never want to have a set like that where I'm directing or producing um, ever be like that. Like, you know, it's a problem if anyone's, I think set or work environment is disastrous. It's kind yeah. of like you have to look at who's running it or communication. Good for you. Um, I hope you become so, the next, I don't know, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. I'm so 
You know what? I mean, it would make sense. I knew who Spielberg was. I forget E.T. <laughs> um, E.T., I, I went to like that 20th anniversary screening like at, I think it was like AMC's when they were all uh-huh, showing it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think that was kind of, I mean, just like to kind of, I guess, wrap up that matter. I mean, it was, I think kind of that mentality, like I just want to make sure everyone was able to perform or um, especially I think Madison because Madison's uh, Bullock plays the lead, Erica, we are filming with her like, um, where we're sticking with her a lot. So it, it can become overwhelming if you have that camera in your face. Even if you're in a scene where her characters are talking to different people, but the camera sort of will stick on her because it's a long take. And mm. she's kind of like, you know, that's a lot of pressure to where you're like, my performance is going to motivate the cameraman or Natalie. It's, um, you know, my emotions are going to like cue them when we, I like, I have to start moving or when I have to start, um, because she was playing characters where she has like a very like intense panic attack scenes. It's, I mean, very overwhelming. So I think kind of, I mentioned it was like all three of them. I was like, have you gone to therapy? And, um, I want to say most of my cast or crew have experience with going to therapy or, um, have expressed interest with it. So my thing was like, okay, great. Well, I think you should start talking to someone like, you know, um, I just want to make sure like you're well, like, I don't want to give you the wrong. My whole thing was like, I never want to give them the wrong advice. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I said great. even if we're on, and I think that was kind of that helped me. It was kind of establishing, I think, a boundary like, hey, you guys can talk to me, but you know, I'm gonna tell you up front, like, hey, you need to like go talk to someone. Like, yeah. I need you to do that right now. That's great. Um, so I think I try to. I'm hoping. I mean, I still try to carry that into I think any work environment or um, even if it's a project not involved. Like, there's been times I had to call out a lot of colleagues or friends and who are also filmmakers like, Hey, you need to not do that project. Cause you seem like you're just going to like hit a wall just cause you're already like freaking out. Yeah. So I think that's, it was a good experience. I think that's what made the film and then making the extraordinary ordinary. Um, I don't want to say it wasn't traumatizing cause it was more, I think stressful because just like any like film that where you feel uh, shooting like a lot of pages a day, um, you feel like sometimes you don't have time to like think or eat. So I think I had to tell um, one of my friends, uh, one of my, a good friend Sean he's a co-producer and he has a he plays a funny cameo role in the film um he plays the bartender who's friends with two of the main characters in the film um I think it was I want to make sure I was also taking care of myself so I would tell him hey I need you to yell at me if I don't eat anything and he's like why would you tell me that? I'm like no dude I'm like because yesterday I didn't eat anything at all and he's like why did you do that I was like well I, I forgot to eat like I don't know why I think I was just like in my own little zone um so I think it was, we kind of all did that. It was like, everyone was kind of giving each other permission. Like, Hey, if you see me look weird, just, you know, call me out. Cause you mm-hmm. got, maybe you got to snap me out of like a zone if I'm feeling sick or if I'm feeling like, you know, anxious or, um, you know, sad about something, hmm. um, which I think we're very fortunate. I mean, I would like to think cause I think cause I, I just individually had like that conversation with everyone and just kind of, I think we're all like being upfront with each other on, kind of like how we're feeling or, you know, we had a lot of first timers, a lot for a lot of cast and crew, this was their first time feature. So I think, you know, in all reality, you know, we were all like learning together, um, you know, the ropes of, you know, filming very fast, a lot of pages a day to, you know, if notorious, like some locations would fall through and then on shoot the day of the shoot would be like, okay, so we had to scrap these pages okay, so we're going to have to improvise some lines. Okay, like here's what you're going to say. Let's rehearse it real quick. And 
Um, that's kind of how we shot each day, kind of expecting, you know, things happen, you know, people get sick or people sometimes don't show up. So it kind of, I think the core team, you know, the leads and my DP and, um, AC or AC was, um, Toto, he's amazing AC and also cinematographer as well. Um, kind of, I think that was like our powwow every day. Um, so we kind of had a routine. I think it's when you're filming, I think past two days, you sort of develop a routine scheduled with your core team on, Hey, let's be positive. But you know what? If something goes down, let's not freak out. Like, let's try not to, if we freak out, let's like, you know, do this privately. Let's like, you know, not like, you know, go off on anyone. Let's like try to figure it out. That's great. Um, That's so cool. So I think, um, that comes from like a lot of, I mean, kind of counseling, I'll be honest. Like I went to counseling and I think like two months every or every day, um, not every day, excuse me, every week for two months. Um, just cause I was kind of both wanting to learn, um, kind of like settle my nerves about doing the feature film for first time and also kind of learn. As I know I mentioned my big thing was, uh, I don't want to be a therapist on set, but you know, I also want to be empathetic. I don't want to, you know, do the wrong approach of like, you know, I don't want people to think like I'm trying to get like medical advice or, you know, advice that's not like in my hand. Of course. Um, so I think that's what made it very positive. I mean, it's, it's a hard film. I mean, definitely, you know, we're all anxious to see it and um, we're having a casting crew screener next month for the people who are part of the project um, just because I'm, they haven't seen it yet or if they some have seen it, it's been like clips of it. So I'm really excited. Um, we just booked a venue about a week ago. So I'm like already jazz, like to start get, you know, screening it. Um, yeah. And so um, as we start to wrap up here, like uh, the, Premiere will be in LA in August. Yes. Um, so the premiere, um, we got the news last week that we'll be screening our world premiere. So this is like the first official public screening um, to um, Southern California, people in Orange County or who can make the drive to LA at the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And that premiere date is Sunday, August 23rd. So is it a little over two months? I believe it's a little over two months. We'll be screening. Um, so the film was picked as a official selection and with film festivals, what's awesome is um, usually they, I think the film festival coordinator, she liked the content and um, usually with, when there's smaller feature films made on a very low budget or um, most of the time film festivals will be okay with like filmmakers, like still working on it. But, you know, just having like a finished product, like for the actual um, screener, uh, just because so cool. we are. Yeah, because we yeah. are finalizing a few little tweaks on um, this month. And yeah, we'll be like ready to go, like come July, um, right after the 4th of July. I think when everyone's kind of back from vacation, um, I know a lot of like my friends and colleagues are going out of town for the holiday. Well, awesome. I, I'm excited to to yeah. see it in its entirety. And I, I'll I'll try to release this episode uh, you know, maybe just before that yeah. that premiere, so maybe we can get some butts and seats. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'll send you over the contact too, or I'm sorry, the contact, the information. I just got the link for tickets and um, you know, the address. It kind of has a breakdown, like with times and there's oh, yeah. other films. Please do. I'll, I'll link them in the show notes. Yeah, and then yeah. the thing is too, there's other um, and I heard there's other like web series, shorts, playing documentaries, other narrative fiction. So, Very cool. um, film festival. Yeah, I went. 
I think kind of a fun fact, I went last year as a guest, uh, my colleague and friend took me and it's just kind of like, it's a little, it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat that like a year later it's premiering there. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, a year ago, it was just like here, like walking around, like looking at the different venues and mm. meeting like a lot of people who are like now like friends today. So it's definitely, I think it's one of those like positive experience film festivals I've been to or film event where, you know, there are other filmmakers who are wanting to like support others or if you have a material you want to show them, they're very like, send it our way, we'll post it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. congratulations. I, Thank I, it's you. an achievement. Thank you. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, definitely keep you posted. I mean, yeah, we're excited. Um, definitely right now we're still currently pending um, some results to see if we get to screen um, at a few other film festivals. So a lot of the festivals, it's a lot of waiting. It's a waiting game because uh, there's some I submitted to last, like last fall, and I won't hear anything until like July, August, or even September. Um, just because they do committees, festival committees will screen like or watch like at least like a thousand films just to like see which ones they want to sure. premiere at their yeah. event. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, we'll we'll plug all your things in a moment, but let's wrap up the show talking about empathy heroes. Yeah. This is the part of the show, listeners, where my guest and I each list someone in our lives who is uh, just very empathetic. Could be a character from a book or a movie, uh, someone we know, a friend, family member, doesn't matter. I will go first to give you a moment to think. Uh, my empathy hero this week is the writer Dan Simmons, who wrote uh, a, mo- a, a book I love called The Terror, um, which uh, is about, it's basically like, Moby Dick meets um, like some sort of uh, what's what's Moby Dick meets like Stephen King. Oh, nice. uh, so it's like it has a horror element, but it's also like has the rich sort of descriptive like saline stuff of Moby Dick. It's great. But anyways, uh, he's my empathy hero because he uh, he said this thing, quote, it occurs to me that our survival may depend upon our talking to one another, end quote. (laughs) Which is true. We need to connect with each other. Like that, that, like we can't go it alone. Like we learn so much from each other. So I just love that. Yeah. And that's why he's my empathy hero. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful quote. Um, Let me think empathy hero. I'm always like, there's so many, but I think it's, he tweets a lot and I love him on Twitter and I've met him before and he's like a super down to earth uh, gentleman it has to be actor, writer, director, producer, and multi-talented Mark Duplass. Um, Mark Duplass, he tweets every day. Um, and I noticed this. He's been doing this for, like, I think the past two to three months. He tweets quotes about mental health, um, kindness, um, grief, and very um, validating a lot of, like, his followers. Or even, I know, probably even himself. I feel like he's speaking from a personal standpoint. Um, on like how things are going to be okay. And you know, if you have a bad day, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Or if you're having a hard time, uh, he mentioned something, I think last week about, you know, if you can't talk to someone, if you feel like you don't, you, you need to talk to someone else, there's therapists, there's counselors, there's doctors, there's no shame in like calling up your doctor and just saying, I need to like come in. Um, so he's been tweeting like these quotes every day. And I just, I definitely recommend like giving him a follow. I think he's like at Mark Duplass on Twitter and on Instagram. And, um, yeah, he's my empathy hero just cause he's, 
um, works in the entertainment industry, has a, I mean, I think I admire that he has a busy schedule, but it still takes the time to like self check with himself as well as kind of letting reminding others, I should say, to check in with themselves and how they're feeling. Lovely. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Natalie, where can people connect with you and uh, learn, you know, maybe watch the trailer for Extraordinary Ordinary and all that stuff? Yeah. Um, so the best place would to um, check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter page. And the user for all three social media platforms is at the Extra Ord Film. Um, spelled out as it sounds. And um, I'll be sure to send you the link to um, the hyperlink. And also my personal Instagram uh, social media platform is Nat Christine Rod. Um, lately, I've been posting a little bit more about the film there, uh, especially because we are starting to get a little few more announcements with um, festivals or upcoming screeners and events. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, I think I give the page a follow if you're curious to find out um, when our next screener is, or we do have like our trailer posted on our social media page. On Facebook, that would probably be the best place to see our teaser trailer um it's pinned on the i think they call it pinned you can pin it at the top comment on your facebook page and cool. some exciting news is we're gonna actually have a official world premiere trailer um come out in july so i'll definitely i would stay tuned on the the film accounts um at the extra word film for updates on when exactly it's going to premiere excellent well yeah yeah all those links listeners are in the show notes Maybe I can sit next to you, listener, at uh, the premiere. Uh, yeah. Who knows? So thank you, Natalie, for sharing. And I'm, I'm yeah, very proud of you so. for making your thing. Oh, thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me today. And I'm really excited. And I definitely I'm looking forward to yeah sharing this podcast. Um, you know, we're all excited to speak with you today. Oh, happy to do it. And to you, yeah. listeners, I'm here. You're here. We're here together. On this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot, we have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Hello, Alex. Hey, Non. How are you? Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. So, you are a part of this this movie uh, written and directed by Natalie Rodriguez and I'm chatting with a few of you today and I'm, I'm pretty excited. So let's jump right into your story. I, I want to hear the, this first kind of big question that I like to ask my guests is, you know, obviously this, this, this movie is about, you know, talking about mental health. It's about putting mental health on screen and, and sort of destigmatizing de- mental illness. What is your relation, your personal relationship to sort of mental health and, and mental illness specifically? Um, gosh, you know, I remember I was probably 11 or 12 years old when I, when I was first thrown into a therapy session with um, my mom, my dad, mom and dad, uh, mom, dad and sister, whatever the combination was. Um, and at a, at a very early age, I was... Um, I was encouraged to express my feelings and and not sweep anything under the rug, not bottle anything up. Um, just just be just be open and honest and true and genuine with um, with with my with my feelings, um, whether they were uh, angry or sad or happy. Um, 
uh, I owe that to to my my mom and dad for um, allowing me and making me feel comfortable um, exploring that outlet. Um, so that's, that's amazing. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of rare. It is. It is, and I'm and I'm definitely unfortunate. Believe me, it was it was it was uncomfortable. Uh, you know those first those first few sessions, and uh, I've I've been in a lot of therapy. Um, but it's it's so incredibly healing and therapeutic, and um, uh, this 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 podcast is um, I'm with it because you know um, people need that outlet. We 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 can't bottle anything up. It'll just it'll it'll rot inside you, and it's it's better to to face your problems you know head on as as they come um, as opposed to. To stalling or procrastinating. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I had a very different upbringing where I certainly I shoved them down, and and that was kind of like what I felt was my survival mechanism in sort of my household. I'm curious for you, you know, you being raised in this, you know, feely like talking about your feelies, you know, feelings type of place. Like what 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 initiated that those therapy conversations? Like what you know, were you struggling at all? Were you having, you know, troubles? What was going on? I think it was just kind of, you know, growing up and going through puberty and wanting to just explore and be recreational with things and, and, you know, figure life out for myself. And, um, you know, I, I used to have some, some battles with my mom, love her to death. Um, but she talk about a, a, a feely human, human being. Um, she's a, she's a total roughneck and the strongest woman I know and mm. doesn't really, doesn't really have any sort of, uh, censor, which has definitely got her in trouble in the past. And, and <laughs> I will honestly say it has gotten me in, in trouble in the past as well. But at the same time, you know, I, uh, I, I speak my mind and, um, and I, I definitely think people relate to that and and respect and admire me more so um, as a result. I, mean, I think it's a admirable quality. I think it, it definitely, you know, to your point, it does take some uh, nuance sometimes because, you know, obviously people can take it the wrong way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, some Some people just get really, really uncomfortable when uh, you know, when people open up and, you know, those, we, we just need more people like that in the world to, you know, just encourage others to, to, to prove to them that it's, it's totally okay to, to show signs of vulnerability and, and, and just be open and honest and true with, um, with whatever headspace you're, you're feeling. Yeah. Cause it's all, it's all real. We all experience it. It's we're all living we're all living our different truths. That's right. So, can you give me some examples of you know certain uh, vulnerabilities you share with like the people you love, the people in your life? You know, struggles you share. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm the first person. My friends are everything to me. They they are my world, my life. I have some of the best friends in the world. Um, buddies who I've known since I was four or five years old, who I still see, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, and I have no problem telling, telling those men and women in my life how much I love them. Um, and it's, it's not hurtful, but it's, um, I guess it's, uh, somewhat disappointing when that 
sentiment isn't uh, reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Not that not that it's not felt, but just verbally, you know, I it's easy for me to look look one of my best friends in the eye and say, "Hey, buddy, I I love you. Like you're you're my best friend. I'm so appreciate so appreciative and and grateful for you." Um, and when it's not when it's not reciprocated or it's not the exchange, the verbal exchange doesn't come back to me. Again, I'm not hurt by it, but I'm just like, man, I'm 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 reaching out right sure. now, and, and and I wish you'd meet me halfway. Mm. Um, and I think I I definitely think I've rubbed off on on quite a few of my friends because uh, you know a lot of them uh, they they tell me they love me back, and oh, that's and nice, I, and that feels good, and it's it doesn't mean that we're you know sappy, vulnerable, timid, you know, emotional men. It just means. Well, Shoot. you are. You are an emotional man, and that's a good thing. I, exactly. It's yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it's there's just so many fake, false male bravados walking around. You know, all people just think that they have to, you know, uphold this this certain stereotype of what they think it means to to be a man, and it's all it's all wrong, Don. It's all wrong. It's absolutely wrong. I, I've been doing some recent writing about it, and it's it's so damaging. One, it's it's wrong, but it's also so damaging. You know, I, I see it all the time. You know, people just put on this face, and then you know, to your point, they're they're not ac- accessing the emotions that they're truly having, and they're not doing the work of like figuring out what those emotions are about. Precisely, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I think a lot of people just. A lot of people need a hug. <laughs> Hugs are the best. I'm a big hugger. <laughs> Hugs are the best. So, what what brought you to uh, the extraordinary ordinary? How how did you get into connecting with Natalie and that crew? So, um, I am good friends with um, our other lead, who you'll be speaking with later today, Madison Bullock. Um, Bullock, forgive me. Um, she is a former semi-pro figure skater. Uh, I played hockey in college, and just through the L.A. hockey world, figure skating world, that's how we met. She did a figure skating movie called Ice, and she uh, I think I submitted myself for some hockey player role, and we got on the phone, we started talking. She ended up actually hiring a good buddy of mine who I play hockey with weekly. Um, but since then we just, we kept in touch and one day she sent me this script, the extraordinary ordinary and said, Hey, read this. Uh, the male lead is it, it's you. Um, so I read it and immediately, immediately related to, to the role and, um, just the material, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's heavy, it's raw. It's, um, you know, it's definitely, an actor's dream to just kind of, you know, sink your teeth and in, into, mm-hmm. into such a role. Um, so anyway, uh, Maddie told me to read it. I did. I loved it. And, uh, I met with Natalie, uh, grabbed a cup of coffee and, um, you know, I thought just through uh, Madison's referral, Natalie was okay, you know, you got it. Let's go. Um, uh, she's a smart cookie and she made me, uh, pick a scene and do a self tape and I went all in, um, and she loved it and I got signed on to the film. Awesome. What, what, in, uh, what do you think Madison saw in the character 
that made her say, "Oh my God, this is this is Alex." Um, God, this is always a t- this is always a tough question because I don't want to. I hate blowing smoke up my own butt, but um, do it. Blow that smoke. Man. <laughs> I give you permission. I uh, I I've, I book certain type of roles. Those being, you know, just the tall, confident, dark, handsome, strapping man, um, and. I that was definitely coincidentally that the the role in the in the movie is Alex. Um, but when I read it, I just I, I just immediately fell in love with what he stood for, which is is true, genuine bravado. Nothing fake, nothing false. Uh, he's such a such a feely man, and. That's that's always been my shtick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's o- it's okay for 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 men to to just show those signs of, of vulnerability. Um, you know, men men who you think wouldn't otherwise, just at, at first glance or first contact, or you know, yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's what I that's what I immediately. Uh, uh, related to when I when I first read the script. Now I haven't seen the film. Uh, can you help me understand the character? Like what he in particular struggles with? Is he is he wrapping him? Is he uh, struggling with a certain mental illness or or anything like that? Right. So um, my character in the film is. Definitely, I, I, I wouldn't say his mental health issues are as deep seated as um, uh, as as my two co stars, um, as Erica and Bianca. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely more of a support system. Um, however, that being said, uh, in 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 the film, uh, the audience learns that I lost my mother uh, to cancer. Uh, at a at a somewhat early age, um, and that definitely definitely um, has has caused some some grief and some trauma in my life. Um, uh, Bianca, played by Anna, um, is not plays my sister, not by blood. Um, she has her own uh, mental illness, which you will soon find out about. Um, uh, my father and I take her in, um, and she's again not by not by blood, but she's she's my sister, and um, we we share a lot of heavy moments together, and um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't really pinpoint the exact. I mean, he he suffers from anxiety. Alex mm-hmm. suffers from anxiety um, due to probably a, a multitude of different things, but. Um, primarily just, just the, the loss and, and absence of, um, of my mother. In the yeah. film. How, how was it tapping into that grief and that anxiety and, you know, the trauma of experiencing loss? Cause loss is traumatic. Like, have you, was it easy to access that? Have you experienced that, any of that stuff personally? Um, yes, that was, that was probably probably the easiest part for me. Um, I, I lost my bestest friend since I was five, uh, about four years ago. Mm. And that was the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. And the hardest thing I know I will ever, ever go through. 
I'm so sorry. Um, oh, no worries. I'm, 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 uh, I'm healed, you know? Um, well, it's, it's an ever going process, but, um, nothing, nothing but happy and fond memories. Um, and, and also when he had passed away, I was, I was studying the Meisner technique, which just broke me wide, wide open. Um, and made me go to these depths that I wasn't necessarily uh, hesitant or afraid or timid to to hit. Um, it just gave me more motivation, more encouragement um, to seek that that sort of healing. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, if it wasn't for the Meisner technique, I, I don't know if I would have if if my if my coping process would have been as healthy, organic, and natural. Uh, hmm as it was but in in terms in terms of hitting those notes in in the movie um it it was easy and it was and it was fun you know the camera doesn't lie when when you know it, it'll pick up your lies but when you're when you're showing your truth when you're feeling uh the the camera grabs it and it's it's a beautiful beautiful thing hmm. you know there's something about like the entertainment industry that's you know and you know this cuz you're you're in it but it's you know, looking in at it, you know, it's being someone who's not in it, like, it, it seems very focused on image and presentation and um, appearance, right? You know, how do you manage sort of that while sort of maintaining your own sense of self and wellness? Because there's, there's this pressure, right? There's this pressure to kind of be a thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my biggest critic when it comes to watching and hearing myself uh on screen um i'm i'm so 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 scrupulous uh so when i first saw a cut of the movie i was like oh god god and what uh <laughs> and and then i saw it and um again those those truths just they 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 speak for themselves the camera picks it up and you just you trust your training and you dive in and and you you just do it and um you know if you're not up in your head if you're not thinking if you have your lines buried if you're in in the moment and living it um all those worries all the all that um all that judgment that you you place on yourself just goes right out the window mm -hmm. um and and thankfully um you know the scenes that i saw myself in i you know i i just i just cared about what truth was being displayed um and how how the audience will um will receive it i wasn't thinking about how my hair looked or or you know the uh, my 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 moments or um how i sound or i i just didn't really care about any of that i was i was so more so pleased with um just how the camera picked up those those honest moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's well said. And what do you, you know, speaking of the audience and like how it sort of interprets that truth, like what are you personally hoping the audience gets from your, you know, from this film, from your uh, portrayal of this character? I mean, there's not many Hollywood leading men who, um, who are able to, to show such emotion to show that vulnerability. Um, uh, I think that's, I think that's a script that Hollywood needs to flip. Um, you know, I think it's feeding into the, just this, uh, 
the stigma that, you know, men need to be tall and strong and, and rugged and not show any weakness. Um, and that, that's honestly, no, that's, that was my mission in the film was to just, you know, hopefully prove to people that, um, it's okay to be feely. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's okay to love. It's, it's, um, just it's it's okay to to be human yeah darn right well said um well as we uh sort of wrap up here um can you give me uh an empathy hero sort of part of part of like um normal episodes i i a guest of mine and and myself we each kind of list someone in our lives who's very empathetic um it could be a character from a movie or you know a book even um, I'll give you a moment to think about it if you want and, and go first. Um, so my empathy hero this week is the writer Susan Sontag. Uh, she wrote this, quote, Do stuff, be clenched, curious, not waiting for inspiration's shove or society's kiss on your forehead. Pay attention. It's all about paying attention. Attention is, attention is vitality. It connects you with others. It, it makes you eager. Stay eager end quote. And I just love that because I, I, I think a big part of empathy is about paying attention to the people around you. It's about paying attention to experiences and listening and uh, meeting people where they are. You talked about that at the top. So, uh, Susan Sontag is my empathy hero this week. How about you? I love that. Um, to be completely honest, um, Keanu Reeves, I, uh, I, I used to work for his agent at CAA and, um, you know, he's, he's been pegged for, you know, being just a great guy, you know, he rides the, the, the NYC train, he will always stop and, and sign an autograph. Um, you know, he just flies below the radar and he's been in the business for such a long time. And, um, I was able to, uh, I was, I was lucky enough to, to leave CAA and, and go work stunts on a movie that he did called John Wick. Um, oh, and I was, John Wick's the best. Oh, it's the best. The the, the best stunt and, and fight team in the industry. Uh, but yeah, I was on location in New York for about three and a half, four months working on that movie. And um, Keanu's just just the best of the best. But but um, one one instance in particular that I will I will never forget. Um, I was I was really close with Keanu and. Um, you know, I think he, he probably asked, you know, the agent I was working for at the time or, or, or something, but my birthday was coming up and, um, you know, he's, he's a Canadian guy. He was a goalie. We used to, you know, shoot the shit and talk about hockey. Um, he knew I played, um, but I had, I had no idea he knew when my birthday was, but, um, he went out of his way, uh, to get me a gift card to this really, really cool hockey pro shop, uh, in El Segundo down by the airport. Um, and I just, I got this, this envelope, um, and it was just a super sweet, short message from, from KR and, um, I don't know, it's just, wow. um, That's it's amazing. Just, it, it just speaks volumes to, to the type of guy that he is, you know, he just, he, he just flies under the radar, but he's, he's so observant and, and he listens and he genuinely, he just, he cares about people, um, that's so, so nice he, to hear because he's, he's he's amazing. I love him. He's, he's amazing. He's he's the best. Um, 
I miss him a lot. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely my my hero of the day, the week, the month, the year. He will always be uh, my my empathy hero. Awesome. Well, Alex, where uh, can people connect with you? Kind of learn more about kind of the work you're doing, all that stuff. Um, Facebook, Instagram. I got a YouTube channel. Um, uh, my IMDb. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link all that stuff in the show notes. It was uh, it was good chatting, friend. So much, so much fun chatting, friend. I really uh, thanks for having me on, and um, hopefully we can actually meet face to face and grab a cup of, cup of coffee and um, maybe give each other a hug and cry it out. I love that. You're in L.A., right? I am. Yep, yep. Well, I'm just I'm in Orange County, so I'm not far. You're a hop, skip, and a jump. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Well, it's good, uh, good chatting, and uh, I'm excited to finally see uh, the film. So. Mm-hmm.